Congratulations, you're listening to Podcast Rebellion. Welcome to Podcast Rebellion, everybody. I'm Juco All-American, joined by Whiskey Wednesday, and we are talking a little bit about the Egg Bowl, but more about the future and um, Lane Kiffin and uh, all that fun, fun stuff. Um, before we do that, what have you been drinking recently? I assume you're not right now because it's 8 a.m., but... Oh, um, I'm drinking my favorite cold brew concentrate, uh, cool brew, uh, available in fresh market, uh, retail locations nationwide, um, with That's a fun. little bit of chocolate syrup and whole milk. And it's really delicious. And last night I drank a lot of scotch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, last night I drank Johnny drum, uh, bourbon. Which I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, but if not, it, it's super good. It's a uh, vanilla heavy and um, like $33, I think is how much it costs here in Austin. So definitely yeah. props, props to them. I remember Johnny Drum having a nice like burn to it as well. Yeah. Like, I guess, I don't know if that's the you know technical term, but a good mix of like having a nice flavor, but a nice like burn as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm going to do the dumb segue. Speaking of things that burn. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Egg Bowl. So Ole Miss lost. Um, we're not going to like recap as much the Egg Bowl because you probably all watched it. Um, I think the story of the game was that Ole Miss was 4 of 17 on third downs and it averaged 2 yards per carry. Absolutely. Um, I think the major issue is that the offensive line got whipped similar to um, the bowl game last year. Yeah, the Sugar Bowl uh, against Baylor. Just no answer on the offensive yeah. line. Or most I mean, of I, the think, I think that the, the tough thing there is like the offensive line all year, even though they've mostly been really bad in pass pro, has been able to hang its hat on run blocking and, you know, getting pushes and not getting blown up. But man, like state just, I mean, <laughs> I found myself wondering halfway through the game and I, I, I think this is preposterous. I'm not actually suggesting this is what happened, but I found myself wondering, like, is the offensive line just mad at Lane Kiffin? <laughs> because like, man, they, uh, they just let them through. They just let them through. Yeah, I mean, what's crazy looking at the box score is Quinchon Judkins still had a pretty respectable game. You know, it, one of his worst of the year. Yeah. Just in terms of yards per carry, he averaged 4.1, uh, 91 yards, 22 carries. Yeah. Um, kept him Zach, out of the Evans. Zach Evans, five carries for zero yards. Uh, yeah, and... That wasn't on Zach Evans. Every, no. time, every time he touched the ball, <laughs> the entire state defense was in the backfield. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And then Jackson Dart had 10 carries for negative four yards. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to think about Dart's performance. I thought 
on the whole, it was pretty decent, um, and, but just very little run support, um, some very key drops by wide receivers and, and just running for his life. I, I think the, you know, the season retrospective on Jackson Dart is that he's an exceptional talent and very tough, um, but he's still young. And yeah, uh, but I, I think most games he's done a phenomenal job and he hasn't had many bad dangerous throws or interceptions in the back half of the year. I think he's had a couple, but uh, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that uh, Jackson Dart has had a, a good season, um, but it's clear that they didn't want to kind of hand the reins to him and, and let, let loose, which maybe that's right. I mean, I don't, I don't have any idea. The only time we ever saw that be effective was against Vanderbilt when he just torched them. He came out of the gate that way against state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was, a few key drops also really messed things up. Uh, so Jackson Dart was 30 of 38. Uh, I, I actually would not have guessed that. Um, but, and at least four of those were drops. So, I mean, if he had finished 34 of 38, uh, actually, we probably would have won <clears throat> uh, because, because yes. <laughs> uh, you know, Mingo had two huge clutch drops uh, and Malik Heath had a had a drop for a, a huge gain that led to uh, either a field goal or uh, a, a missed four point or four, four point conversion, <laughs> fourth down conversion. Um yeah, it's just a just a tough game. Um, Ole Miss did finish plus two in the turnover battle, which <clears throat> is you know interesting when you lose by two. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Um, and of course, uh, so one thing I commented on during the game was the fact that it was a pretty physical but clean game. Uh, it wasn't like watching Alabama do all the dirty stuff they did or. Yeah, uh, you know, and it wasn't a game that was heavily impacted by the officials, except for one play that I don't think was any way intentional. I think it was just a colossal goof up uh, on their part. That play. Um, but otherwise, the game was pretty, pretty well officiated, pretty balanced. Um, you know, I definitely saw some holding that could have been called either way. You know, just yeah typical game stuff. It felt like it was pretty balanced. And for some reason, that's like way easier to swallow <laughs> than, than a game where you feel like you're getting jobbed the entire time. Uh, yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about the inadvertent whistle thing. Um, I mean, I think that, so when the lateral happened uh, and Mingo dropped it, which again, Actually, that was a third Mingo drop, huh? We had, like, I didn't really think about it as a Mingo drop, but it really was. Um, yeah. And he, he dropped it. Uh, I'm, I'm yelling in the, like, three seconds post-play when nothing is happening. I'm yelling at the screen, pick the ball up, pick the ball up, pick the ball up. Yeah. Uh, but um, then State picks it up, and they say... <laughs> So the refs come out and they say, uh, the ref comes out and says, um, there was an inadvertent whistle on the play. We're going to replay the down. 
Right. <laughs> and then states coaches go ballistic, which they, they should. I mean, like, no matter what, an inadvertent whistle after the play, which is what happened, uh, shouldn't result in replaying the down. No. Um, and then the refs conference for a long time. And then they, and then they say that the call in the field was an incomplete pass. And then they review it. They say it was a lateral and that state, uh, recovered it, uh, because, uh, I, I haven't timed it, but almost certainly three seconds after the play is over, uh, a state player picks it up. You can see that, that a ref has called it a backwards pass, but you can see that another, and I, look, line judge, like, I actually don't know those things. Like maybe, you know, I, whatever, nope. it doesn't matter. Uh, another ref has whistled it dead and is waving his hands. It is clearly, it is clear that he has whistled an incomplete pass. Yeah, he has, I, I, he has stopped the play. Right. And I understand that there are scenarios where uh, something like that happens and immediately an, a, a player from the other team picks it up and then that ultimately ends up being a a turnover. And I actually understand. I, I think that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. But this was not even immediate. This was like, I guess we'll stand here and then, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get the ball just in case, you know? Yeah. And I'm very conflicted on it because it clearly didn't occur to John Mingo or Jordan Watkins, who was also right there to scoop up the ball. Like even, I mean, there's obviously a moment before the play was whistled dead where they would have reacted to it if they thought it was a live ball, you know? Yeah. I mean, jo Jordan Watkins was running with intensity to the ball and then clearly lets up because he yeah. hears the whistle. Okay. Okay. So that was your, okay. Um, I mean, yeah, if that's the case and that's, that's pretty airtight, but I don't know. My, my I wasn't listening where I could hear the whistle. I was like watching on my phone because. Oh no! I mean, I I don't think we could hear the whistle. But I'm saying that like, okay. at the exact same time, every player, including the state players, stops. Yeah. And, you know, is not like, oh, this is still live. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I think it's had they let the play go, I think there's a pretty good chance that Mississippi State would have been the team to recover. But as it played out, the only correct way to go is just to have it an incomplete pass, second and ten, or, or a fumble that you whistle dead, and so it's a loss of half a yard or something like that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Instead, they they uh, <laughs> instead it's it's a fumble recovered by Mississippi State, who then fumbles on the one yard line. Uh, to give Ole Miss a, 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 a chance, which, uh, and then there was the, you know, Ole Miss scores a touchdown on a huge blown coverage. Dayton Wade actually played a really good game. Um, I think mm -hmm. that he is, you know, a potential asset moving forward. Um, had a, had a, you know, decent season in, in limited action or limited opportunities with Mingo and, and Malik Heath on the outside. I, I think that he's an interesting, interesting chance. Yeah, I very much like him and Jordan Watkins too. Um, 
I think having them as the, you know, number three and four receivers is, is not bad. Um, yeah. Yeah. We obviously got to find two guys, hopefully who can give us even a little upgrade over Heath and Mingo. Um, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think that even if, if we just find another Heath and Mingo, that would be awesome. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so what, what were the last thing on the egg bowl? What was your thought on the, uh, the two point play? Uh, I think it was bad. I think it not only took the ball out of Jackson darts hand out of Quinchon Judkins hand, I think it, it took the ball out of the hands of our two best playmakers and relied on the offensive line, like the middle of the offensive line that had gotten obliterated all night. And it also, it, I don't know, it left the result of the game up to a, a gadget play almost. Like, I guess a shovel pass isn't a gadget play, but it's a little, it's a little tricky. It's a little gimmicky in that situation you know the shovel pass is something you you kind of run uh when there's a, a threat of a longer pass or something like that you know what i mean yeah uh, it doesn't work when everybody is stacked in the box on the goal line um i i think some kind of i think handing it for an off tackle run would have been you know with again the best player that Ole Miss has uh, would have been a viable play and running some play action bootleg with dart who is, you know, talented uh, would have been a viable play. I, I don't think it was good. Yeah. I mean, I will say like uh, number five, who I think is Randy Charlton uh, from Mississippi state made a really good play. Sure. Oh yeah. Very. Uh, yeah. But I think that if on if on a two point conversion you just run left with Quinshawn Judkins and it doesn't work out, then you say, Hey, like he's definitely going to be the SEC freshman of the year. Uh unless it I guess it goes to it could go to a defensive player like what's his face at LSU. But uh, you know, definitely the best offensive freshman in the sec and a, a freshman all american uh if it doesn't work out like okay whatever you know he he couldn't pick it up uh but i think that if you're going to run a pass play it needs to be one that doesn't rely on the offensive line because <laughs> if you want to rely on your offensive line then run it with judkins uh but if not, then, you know, don't, <laughs> uh, you know, run something that allows Jackson Dart to get to roll out, get, you know, have a run pass option of his own, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, try to do one of those stupid rub route plays where that like work 50 percent of the time where like a receiver just kind of like rub or a, a slot rubs out to the outside and you know, is either open or not like those things, you know, whatever, do that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, it was really frustrating. Um, yeah. So let's actually just move on to, uh, to overall um, almost finishes the season eight and four regular season, eight and four. And, you know, pl plenty of uncertainty. 
Um, I'll tell you what, I'll just let you talk. Uh, like, thoughts on the season, thoughts on Lane, Lane Kiffin. So, I think heading into the season, if you said that we were going to go 8-4, and four, most people would have been fine with that. And to a degree, you know, it, it is okay. This was, I don't know, probably the least painful Egg Bowl loss I can <laughs> remember. Yeah. Um, but what makes it frustrating is I think 8-4 and four was sort of assuming maybe quarterback play wasn't particularly good. Maybe, you know, the running game wasn't able to replace the production uh, of Snoop Connor and Jerry and Ely was assuming that, you know, we didn't have some of the pieces in place that we needed. And, but the team was good. Like it was, this was a pretty good football team. Um, it was, you know, obviously tough integrating a new quarterback, um, a bunch of new receivers and new rank, you know, implementing all these new pieces, but it was a good team and it put itself in position to win 10 games. Um, and, and then I, I feel like what messed us up down the stretch was kind of lack of focus, uncertainty. Um, and I, I think you can lay almost all of that on, on Lane Kiffin. And there's some degree of that last year too. And we've just, you know, we'll, we'll talk about whether he stays, whether he goes, the, the ramifications thereof um, in further detail. But like, we've we've got ourselves in this situation where he can't finish a season because he can't keep his focus on the job for an entire season and yeah. like how how ridiculous what what a shame you know he's i think somebody on our slack channel said uh he's treated illness like a joke and illness isn't a joke and i thought that was you know very well said yeah um, I think eight and four, uh, being satisfied with eight and four heading into the season also presupposes that A&M, Arkansas, and Auburn are not bad, which they are. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think the world is ending. I, I, I think that, um, you know, eight and four is, you know, not catastrophic. Like, it's easy to forget the many lows that our program has experienced. And, uh, you know, oh, yeah. I, I, I think that what has changed for me really just in the past week, um, not specifically because of the loss to state, although I, that's definitely a contributing factor, um, is I don't know that the program is on the upswing and uh, for more than just a record standpoint. Um, like a week ago when Ole Miss lost to Arkansas, I came away saying like, ah, oh, frustrating loss, but like, we're still headed in the right direction. Foundationally, we're there. And we do have some foundational pieces and all that sort of stuff. But, <clears throat> you know, the the Auburn flirtation, uh, along with just losing four of the, pa of the last five games of the season, just really puts a huge damper on that. Um, I, like you, I, I, I don't know how much... Well, it's funny. The the Lane Kiffin flirtation with Auburn and rumors and that sort of thing, I don't know if that has that much of an impact, but Ole Miss lost by two. So, like, 
you know, if Ole Miss had come out and lost by like 30 to State, they'd be like, well, I mean, I don't think that Lane Kiffin, you know, considering Auburn and not giving answers to Auburn is the reason we lost by 30. Um, but, you know, it, it was so close. And uh, in, in that case, like any one thing makes, makes you know, a big difference. Um, I think that this is a deciding time um, for, for Lane Kiffin in that I don't think he can stay at Ole Miss and then next year have a similar thing happen where some, I mean, look, if Alabama comes open, whatever, dude, fine. No problem. Uh, you know, if, if Ohio state decides they want to hire Lane Kiffin, whatever, but when like a team or program that is slightly better, uh, I know some would argue the same or maybe even worse. I, I, I disagree. I think that Auburn is a slightly better program uh, than, than Ole Miss at this, at this juncture. Uh, you know, comes calling. Lane Kiffin just needs to say no. Um, and, like, I, I have seen a lot of people say, like, uh, it's, it's the way he handled this. It's been so unprofessional. Like, I mean, he has not said anything, um, like done anything specifically wrong during this coaching search. I think what people are most pissed about is just that he would entertain Auburn. Um, and I, I would disagree with that. Uh, but I think it's proving to him that if, if he's unwilling to just say no to a program, that's not a huge improvement, then like, we're just going to have these problems over and over again. Yeah. And there's something that that I think rubs me and most Ole Miss fans the wrong way about it being Auburn, it being a divisional rival who is trying to just, you know, buy their way out of a series of, of bad moves that their program has made. And then the side benefit is that they hurt a division rival who is on the upswing. And it's frustrating that they think they're able to do that and shoot. They, they might be, I guess, I guess he could, you know, move to Auburn today. Um, yeah. But it's also frustrating that a lot of people in the media are willing to help them in that goal. I think, okay. So the way that Kiffin treated that breaking report from that state beat writer who says he's not a state beat writer, uh, <laughs> was unprofessional, but here's a deal. There wasn't any confirmation that he was going to Auburn yet. Right. The decision had not been reached. And that guy released a port, a report saying that it was essentially confirmed. So either that guy released a port, uh, released that report hoping to hurt Ole Miss because he's, you know, embedded deep within state country or someone like John Cohen, someone within the Mississippi State program, someone within the Auburn program, whatever, planted that on him and he wasn't able to independently verify it, but just released it anyway. And so allowed himself to be a tool of someone in another athletic program who, you know, wanted to, to hurt Ole Miss and, and their program. I mean, and it could also be true. It could also be true, but we've heard so many conflicting reports or so many reports suggesting that it's not true. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
yeah, I think it's frustrating the degree to which the media ran with something that wasn't confirmed. Um, but then it's also frustrating the degree to which Kiffin let it happen. Um, so there's, there's a lot of blame and frustration to go around through that whole process. And, and I don't think we really understand what has actually gone down and we may never. Um, but it's definitely a frustration, you know, to be held in limbo like that. Um, and I don't know if Kiffin should have done something different or the media should have done something different or if Keith Carter should have done something different or it's hard to say. I mean, it's, it's, it's also kind of a rare situation that a coach at a big program like Auburn gets fired mid season and starts their coaching search mid season, you know, mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. also gunked up everything. Uh, Cause yeah, if they fired Harson after the iron bowl, and then Lane Kiffin becomes a major candidate. Yeah, fair, fair game. Uh, but they they did it in a way that screwed up the last you know quarter of Ole Miss's season. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, for a moment, let's assume that he uh, leaves, and we'll do the same exercise for for him staying uh, because I don't think that like either one of us. I mean. We may have an inclination, but I mean, we have no way of knowing whether he's going to leave or stay. Um, so, if he leaves, uh, what do you what do you do? Um, so, a report. I guess one of the recruiting reporters. I'm not going to say his name because I don't like him a lot or any. Um, <laughs> said that Luke Fickle, um, his, I guess entourage, whatever his representation reached out to Ole Miss suggesting some, some interest should the job come open. Um, that would be an incredible hire. I mean, you never know that could be a, a Scott Frost, Nebraska kind of situation. If you were to come mm -hmm. into the sec from, from not the sec. Um, but he's proven himself to be a consistent, uh, a great program manager. Um, to me, that would be an upgrade. Um, potentially, uh, I yeah. mean, it's cool to have the, you know, the kind of brand associated with Kiffin and the, the kind of swagger and, and fun surrounding the program with him, which maybe fickle doesn't bring, but I think maybe he brings some more consistency, some, you know, some more experience as a head coach at a relatively high level, um, in, in a stable situation and creating a, you know, a stable high level program. Um, I think you reach out to him. I think you reach out to Aranda and Matt Rule. And I mean, people keep talking about Deion Sanders, and I, I haven't followed closely enough what he's right. actually done at Jackson State, how he looks on the sideline at Jackson State. And I don't think most of the people who have brought him up have done that either, uh, mm. really. So I, I think you you give him a look, but that's a crazy unknown to me. Um but it would be a way to, you know, keep the fun going, keep oldness as a fun brand, like as an exciting brand of football would be to, to at least look at him. Um, so I think that's what you do. And I don't know what you do in terms of keeping key pieces on the roster. I don't know if people within the football program can come out and negotiate NIL things with Quinchon Judkins and 
whoever else is a risk to leave. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how, how they do that, but you would hope that we could leverage this big NIL push to keep players on the team, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that no other one player would be just totally crushing to lose that uh, aside from Quinshawn Judkins. Uh, I mean, Jackson Dart can't really leave. So right. Uh, there's that, but um, you know, that's not to say that like other players leaving would not be bad. I mean, that, that could still be very bad, but like there's not any other one name that's just like, Oh man, what are we going to do? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, all the names that you mentioned would be, would be good. Um, I, I'm I'm also torn on Dion um, because, like you, I I'm I know he who he is as a brand, and I know that he has produced results at Jackson State, but I don't have any idea of how he has played a part in those results. Um, and I don't mean that like I don't I don't side either way. I, I'm not assuming either way. Uh, but yeah, I, I just don't really know. Uh, I would need to look more into him. Um, whereas the others, you know, we, we, you can't be a college football fan without sort of learning. Like Matt Rule, uh, you know, is a fantastic evaluator and uh, has, is really good at unearthing these like unheralded players who then grow to be like super fast and big <laughs> uh, and, you know, effective um, and so, of course, like a, uh, a coach like that, you know, we, we have heard about and Fickle took his team to the FBS college football playoff. Uh, and so, yeah, I'd take him. <laughs> I think he would also be an upgrade over Kiffin. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I said this to someone else uh, yesterday because um, I think that a number of people, and especially after the loss yesterday, I've seen a number of people online, on message boards, on Twitter, uh, you know, suggesting that they kind of hope Kiffin leaves. Um, and I am definitely not uh, in that in that category because I think Kiffin is a good coach. I mean, we don't we can't say with any authority whether he's a great coach. Um, I would lean towards him not being a, a great coach. But man, it is easy to hire not good coaches that you think will be a good coach. Uh, and, you know, knowing what we have is, to me, uh, a, a much better spot than hiring someone who has done well somewhere else and you kind of like hope and assume they will do the same at Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are definitely good coaches to be had out there, but they're you know, anybody you bring in to the SEC West who hasn't been a coach in the SEC before is a risk, you know, it's just, it's I mean, a think about Brian Harson, right? Brian Harson, when, when Auburn hired him, I was like, huh, he could be really good for them. Yeah. And it was just yeah. a disaster. Yeah. He got cooked uh, yeah. <laughs> from every direction. He did not manage the program well. He did not coach well on the field. He did not recruit well. Like he got cooked. Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously this is year one for Billy Napier, but like Florida lost to Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Napier was. Th- that's always a risky thing to me, like pulling guys out of like kind of Sun Belt ish schools. Uh-huh. 
uh, going straight to the SEC. Uh, that's, that's tough. That's a big jump. Yeah. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's let's move to uh, assuming that Kiffin stays. All right. Uh, so so what do you do uh, if you're first of all? What do you do if you're Keith Carter? Um, I, I think that. To me, um, I don't know the dynamics between the two, so maybe there's something that makes that difficult. But uh, I take the raise off the table. I take the monster raise off the table. I would. Yeah. Oh, that. yeah. I mean, I, I think he needs a raise, but it doesn't. Yeah. Need, he doesn't need to be top five paid coach. No, I think you add some something to the contract. I mean, obviously like this is the real world. You can't put in some sort of clause that says you can't look at other jobs. Right. But, like it feels like you have to come to some understanding that like you got to finish the season lane. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you got to minimize the, the distractions. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I think you give him a, a, a competitive, decent raise, but I think you ask Kiffin to give you a roadmap uh, of changes to the program, and that includes changes to the staff. Um, I think some some of Kiffin's moves went poorly enough where if you're Keith Carter, you have to ask him, like, what are you going to do about that? Um, yeah. You know, specifically things I can think of offensive line coaching. We hired, mm -hmm. you know, we hired a, a, a very, very young offensive line coach uh, to replace a very veteran offensive line coach. And the overall results have been very poor. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've talked both bad and good about Jake Thornton in the past, but I think with the, again, with the season in the rear view, bad. Bad yeah, hire. I mean, He's you know, yeah, it's 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 hard to evaluate position coaches and even coordinators because, you know, we don't really see the day to day and know what's going into things. Um, but the offensive line regressed uh, yeah. as the year went on. And, um, you know, last year finished the season terribly and just, you know, picked up right where I left off. Uh, you know, their, their running game did great um, for, for most of the year, but there are two parts to an offense. <laughs> yeah. And the running game to a greater degree, you can create, create a running game based on having two great running backs check mm -hmm. uh, and then having, a good running scheme, which, which Kiffin does. I mean, he, I think his, his, the way that he crafts running game plays is really good and really smart. Um, it, it's been illustrated and talked about during games, how he can use uh, pulling offensive linemen to create misdirection and then run the ball the other way. You know, just little things mm -hmm. he does mm -hmm. uh, can hide some weaknesses there, but just think about, 
think about the concept of the offensive line that we had going into this preseason or, you know, going into this season, we have, you know, a returning pretty dadgum good left tackle. who We moved to left guard because we think that's his NFL position. Uh, And then he's expected to be kind of an all American kind of performer. We have Jeremy James uh, or Nick broker. That was who I'm referring to, obviously. Yeah. Right. Uh, Jeremy James expected to, start at right tackle or right guard, or no left tackle at the time. Um, and we had guys talking about him being potentially a, a, you know, decent NFL draft pick, a guy who had a chance to leave this past off season, um, you know, had him plugged in at, at left tackle, um, had a, what was supposed to be a plug and play starter at right tackle uh, from the Porter portal, like a big acquisition in Mason Brooks. Um, Who had started for like four years at Western yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. And then had Caleb Warren, Eli Acker, uh, and then, you know, some, some promising young guys. Like we had kind of the starting offensive line in place and then totally retooled it throughout the season to include two freshman starters at both tackle spots. Which theoretically uh, should mean that they are better than what was coming back, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. And so, yeah, they were they were supposed to be, you know, after some experimentation, that was supposed to be the best option over those more veterate guys. And maybe they were. But, yeah, just overall, I mean, the stats don't bear out the fact that that Jackson Dart had pressure in his face all year because we weren't terrible in sacks allowed. No, but a lot of that, a lot of that is because we were very run heavy and because Jackson Dart had a million incredible individual efforts to get rid of the football. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone, someone last week uh, on Twitter, I saw a Twitter fight or not, not fight uh, Twitter agreements. Like o- Ole Miss had tweeted out something about the Arkansas game. Uh, and it was maybe like, the third quarter graphic that says like what the score is after the third quarter or whatever. And there were a bunch of people in their responses, like Jackson Dart is not the answer. We need to like, you know, give Luke Altmaier a try. And it was like, I mean, no. Luke, Altmaier, Luke Altmaier could be fine. Like, I, I, I don't think that he's a bad quarterback, but like if your thoughts in watching this, this team are that Jackson Dart is the problem. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. You're just, uh, you're, this, this watching football thing is not going to work out for you. Uh, yeah, certainly not knowing what you're watching. Yeah, I mean that's that's the the go to of the most ill informed fans is like quarterback team do bad quarterback bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as for coordinators, uh, so you know Charlie Weiss Jr. Um, a lot was made of him being like some sort of savant kind of uh, kind of coordinator. Um, we, we knew, I don't think anyone would, would have contended going into the year that it was going to be like this super high flying, you know, he was going to revolutionize things and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we, we knew that, you know, in many ways, this is Elaine Kiffin's offense. Um, I think that the red zone and third down calls this year were like, especially towards the end of the year were catastrophically bad. Um, and it's, look, I, 
all the people we've talked about are much better coaches than I would ever be if I attempted to be a coach. Uh, but it was just like suddenly we decided that our best third and anything but short option was to run a QB draw with Jackson Dart. Uh, and, you know, teams picked up on that and it just never worked. And we just ran it for like three games in a row. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we over relied on that and yeah. And, and had a lot of trouble constructing short passing plays that worked, um, in, in situations like that, um, and, or using you know, the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And in, uh, we had a lot of running success running in passing situations and, and, so we had some degree of success there, but again, you can't rely on that too much because teams start to key in on it, which they definitely did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of coordinators, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't think we should replace both coordinators, but I think we should replace one and it almost doesn't matter which one. I know that's like a weird thing to say, but like, I feel like we have to do something because both of those guys don't appear to be high level coordinators at this point. They, they don't add much. Um, Partridge adds a lot of recruiting, but obviously is way too stubborn in his commitment to dropping everyone and letting the quarterback have 15 seconds to throw. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. So, something does need to change. I think that a a bad scenario is, uh, you know, Kiffin's extended and we just sign a recruiting class and find a, tr- a, a few transfers and then roll into next year with the same setup as this year. Yeah, that'd be very, very frustrating. Um, and, you know, there's going to be some people on the coaching staff who get recruited for other positions. I don't know if we'll lose people, but you know, we could lose Sam Carter, the cornerbacks coach, um, could lose Maurice Croom, could lose John David Baker. Um, you know, some of our more solid or, you know, could use, Oh God, what's the defense Randall Joyner. We could lose yeah. some of our more solid guys and, you know, be left with some of the, you know, so basically, we have to be in the mindset of of looking for potential upgrades to the coaching staff because not only do we need upgrades, even if nothing changes, but you know teams could come in and, and poach some of our better guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it's funny for me to say this because we've just talked about how the coordinators are not, you know, are not in a great spot, but. I, I don't feel like Lane Kiffin has made bad assistant hires. Um, you know, some things work out, some don't. Like, Charlie Weiss Jr. is maybe the only one that, when he was hired, it was like, huh, I, you know, a, an offensive coordinator from a, a much lesser school who, and that much lesser school was, like, very bad in the year that he was hired away. You know, like, that's kind of a, a weird thing that's obviously just a personal connection between the two of them. Um and, you know, it in some ways it worked out. Like, I don't mean to totally downplay everything. Ole Miss had the fifth 
if we're only paying attention to total yards, Ole Miss was the fifth best offense in the country. Now, obviously, we know that total yards is a stupid stat. Um, but, you know, it's not like Kiffin and Charlie Weiss Jr., you know, got us to a spot where our, our offense was catastrophically bad and we couldn't move the ball at all or, you know, something like that. I mean, that that is not the case. It's just that, you know, in Kiffin's first two years, there was so much innovation and like there were there were lots of plays to scheme guys open that were just fascinating uh, to to dissect after the fact and kind of look at what happened to be able to make that work. And uh, there were still some of those uh, this season, but, you know, a, a marked difference with with the loss of Jeff Levy. Yeah. And, you know, you could say the same with the loss of Matt Corral. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. He was he was good enough to you know create more opportunities, uh, especially his ability to push the ball downfield. Uh, you know, and, and Dart got better and better at that as the season progressed. But his ability to make multiple reads, his ability to read defenses, uh, his and ability, his quick release. Yeah, yeah, quick release ability to just drop the ball in a bucket, you know, sixty yards away. Yeah, a pretty special player, and, yeah. and Dart is in his own way. But first time, first year is a full year, full time starter, um, and so I think that maybe diminishes your ability to do that too. And then you know a whole new receiving core, pretty much. You know, receiving core. I mean, Mingo was a non factor last year just because of injury, and so he's the only returner that saw significant playing time this year. Uh, yeah. among, among the receivers. So, you know, that's got to make it a little bit difficult too. So there's some, you know, excuses or whatever built in to, to that. I, I still think Lane runs an incredible offense, but at some point you got to explore. So, you know, you mentioned us being, you know, fifth or whatever in terms of what yards, total yards. Yeah. Total yards. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, a statistic that I don't, think is explored very often but what if we looked at points per yard <laughs> you know we'd be <laughs> very very low in that regard because of the huge number of yards that we eat up yeah the huge number of blown opportunities to score points mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean there's there's a lot that needs to happen i, I will say i think that Assuming that you know NIL keeps the players it needs to, mainly Quinshawn Judkins here and everything, I think there's reason for some optimism heading into next year. I think that there's a foundation here that uh, is you know significant, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and there are a lot of returning players who play a lot on the defensive side of the ball uh, and are pretty solid players. I think that the problem on the on defense is that this team needs two or three tremendous impact players. And I would argue that it doesn't have one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we thought Cedric Johnson might be that player and he, he still is very good at times. We thought JJ Piggies might be that player and he is at times. Yeah. Uh, I think Piggies is the biggest individual impact player that we have. And mm-hmm. it's, it's clear that, it's not enough just having him as that impact player on the defensive line. Um, and, and Cedric Johnson uh, kind of dinged up all year and just 
he he isn't as good as Sam Williams. We thought he I thought he might be close, but I don't I don't think he's he's really in the no. same conversation. I think he he will make an NFL roster if he stays healthy, but he won't, you know, come out and be really good. Uh he's not gonna is yeah. In the, yeah. Yeah. Um I, I'm interested to see if we stick primarily in the three two six. Um I don't think it's a bad decision to stick in the three two six. I think it's a fine uh defense uh schematically and you know just in general. Uh but the the argument for the three two six for the first, you know, or for the, the last two years has been like, we just have so many experienced safeties who are super good. And, um, you know, a lot of those guys are leaving now in this off season. And so, you know, are you beholden to this when, I, so I was looking at, at the depth chart, sort of trying to get a, a sense of what might be happening next year. There are three safeties who are coming back, who play a lot. And that's Ladarius Tennyson, Tysheem Johnson, and Ishim Young. Uh, and Ishim Young is someone that I had pinpointed heading into the year as being a major impact player. Um, he wasn't, he, he played a lot and, and, you know, did fine. Uh, but I guess I wonder like on a defense that relies on four safeties with, you know, one to two being hybrid safety linebacker kind of things. When you only have three coming back who you even feel, you know, good about, do you stick with it or do you move to something that, you know, deals with some of the issues that were exposed at times, especially, you know, against the run and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's that's a tough call. And yeah, you're right about Aishim Young. That was that was kind of surprising. But yeah, I think among the the younger safeties who play, Tennyson and Tyshim Johnson were both a step above Aishim Young. Um, yeah, yeah. But there are a couple, there are some young guys that have some potential too. I mean, MJ Daniels um, has yeah. a potential to, to step in and, and play. Trey Washington, I can't remember if he played more corner or safety, but he he played well at times. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's reason to uh, stick with that, you know, to stick with that alignment. But God, yeah, the, the temptation to add one more guy in the box has got away pretty heavily on them after the the struggles in the running game and the struggles in pressuring quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, well, we'll do a, we'll do another episode about sort of what they need to acquire in the off season and that sort of thing. Um, we'll wrap here and uh, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving uh, and we'll be back next week with uh, news on what happened with Lane Kiffin. Yeah. <laughs>